0: See how you can get involved and support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? Hey, how you
1: doing today? This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics Throughout All Ages And we're here to intellectually think of worldviews and see if it makes sense in the world that you live in. We will look through history, science, archaeology, and the reality that we live in. And you can weigh it out to see if it makes sense. So, So we will rigorously go after the truth here with 1530 Apologetics. As you know, we have been talking about the canonizing of Scripture We want to look from the very beginning days when Jesus' ministry took off. These apostles, the disciples who had authority to canonize the Scriptures, how did they get this authority? And what did it look like when we look at it from their perspective in a historical account? So today, as we look at how the Bible got canonized, we left off last week at Pentecost. The resurrection had taken place, 40 days had went by, and then another 10 days they waited. And it says, the promise of the Holy Spirit will be indwelt in the believer, and he will be with you, upon you, and in you. And that the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, will bring all things into remembrance and will teach all things. And so we see this happening Uh, right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so once we look around 33 A.D., after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when he ascended to heaven, it says that the disciples are in Jerusalem, and the preaching of the gospel begins to unfold. We know that right away 3,000 of them got saved as they heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it was said that very early, The gospel message had everything to do with the resurrection. It tells us in Acts after Pentecostal, after the Pentecostal, after the Pentecost, should I say, that Peter testifies this on Acts 2. He says, this Jesus has God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Now, I want you to know that during this time, a man named Saul He was a Judaizer, he was a Jewish man, an Israelite, but he was a Pharisee, a religious ruler of a high-statured man of the Jewish people, hated those who were were to follow Jesus, and we're going to see this. And when we hear a description of this, uh, this guy named Saul that talks about in the Bible, it tells us that he was very strict on being a Judaizer that he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, according to the law, a Pharisee, concerning the law, zealous, persecuting the church. And it goes on to say, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in the the city at the feet of Gamaliel, Now, Gamaliel was a first century Jewish rabbi and a leader in the Jewish Sanhedrin, a famous and a well-respected teacher. So Paul was taught according to the strictest of the father's law of Judaism, and he was zealous towards God. And he goes on to say in his own testimony, I persecuted the way. Now, the Christians, very on, in the beginning, they were called the way. And he said, I persecuted them from the very beginning. I put them in death, in bindings, and delivering them into prisons, both men and women. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, so when they killed the first martyr who was a Christian, his name was Stephen, Paul, Saul says here, and I call him Paul because he changes his name to Paul. But it says that Saul here says, I was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were willing to kill him. So as they were dropping stones on Stephen, a martyr for Jesus Christ, here Paul was consenting. Paul says when, you were, Paul says when they were killing the Christian Stephen, I was there consenting because I hated these Christians. You need to remember that this new Christian sect was not only coming off the heels of the Jewish people, but the pivotal point of Judaism was looking for the Messiah. And the apostles declared that Jesus was the Messiah and had risen from the grave. And they charged that there was no other way to get to heaven but through the Lord Jesus Christ. If we compare that, that is like the Arians back in the first century or uh, second century. Or maybe it would liken to the Jehovah Witness or the Mormon saying that Jesus was not God but an angel becoming a man. And they fanatically were saying this, that they are the new Christians who have all the authorities. You see, it was in the very teeth of Judaism that Christianity started. And that was saying a lot. You see, the way the Christians were doing this in plain sight, talking about the Messiah, a king, a new covenant, a resurrection all took place in Judea, and Saul hated the way and would have done nothing and would have nothing to do with it. If they could expose the lies, this would be the time to expose those lies. So this plays to the question that some would ask about this, was this, Was the Bible that we read about today, was it truly a historical event? Was Jesus truly a historical figure? People like Paul, who had no reason to become an enemy of Judaism, he had status, he had a position as a Pharisee, he had a career. There was nothing to gain by becoming a Christian. And Christianity would only bring persecution. And so we read here in Acts 8, verse 1, as Paul starts the persecution, it says this, At the time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So we need to see this happening, that they were in Jerusalem. They were in Judea. But as persecution began to take place, it began to scatter the gospel. And what the men saw and heard orally is now being given to other peoples around the out, throughout other cities of Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Now the question is what would impact a man so much that not only would he become a Christian, but die as a martyr for Christianity? And this is a good question. You see, from the time Saul went to persecute the church, it was not more than two or three years. And then Saul had a conversion that changed his life forever. Saul would have his name changed to Paul and become one of the greatest apostles of Christianity. Now, as we take a look at this, remember, Jesus dies and rises again around 33 A.D. Two years had gone by. Now it's 35 A.D. With two to three years of persecuting the church, Saul's name is changed to Paul as he converts to Christianity while he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So now we are at 35 AD. And it tells us that after that, Paul spends three years in Arabia. And then he goes to Jerusalem. And he tells us this in Galatians one seventeen. You need to remember, three years have gone by now. So it's 38 AD. And he goes to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before him. But I went to Arabia and again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So he sat there for 15 days and began to talk about everything that has been happening with the risen Lord. And he says, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And the church is moving now from city to city the word is getting out paul spends two or three years persecuting the church he spends 3 years in arabia and now it's about 38 ad 5 years have gone by about this time he tells us that in he tells us in galatian that paul spends 14 years in the region of syria and sicilia It says, Paul wrote, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. And so he went up to Jerusalem after fourteen years. And so around 52 A.D., he goes back to Jerusalem. Now between 35 A.D. on Paul's conversion on Damascus Road to 52 A.D., Paul is returning to Jerusalem. The church is thriving. 15, 17 years have gone by, and that really isn't a lot of time. And so we see also what was going on here, is that in 44 AD, so in 44 AD we have the first apostle, martyr for Christ, Jesus. And this was James, the brother of John. This is Joe, and I would hope that you would stay with us to the second part as we see how the Bible got canonized throughout all ages, 1530 Apologetics.
0: Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages, 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.
1: Throughout All Ages ministry, 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75-85% to of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith.
0: For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Join Creation Fellowships and Tees Apologetics Speaker Series, Thursdays at 6:30 PM via Zoom. First Peter verse 3, chapter 15 says, to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Creation Fellowship Santee's brand name apologetic speakers will do just that. Equip you with the knowledge and tactics to explain your Christian faith. Get equipped Thursday nights at 6.30. Learn more on Facebook and YouTube at Creation Fellowship Santee or email CreationFellowshipSantee at gmail.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages, 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona, on K-Praise. Here we are back in the second part of Throughout
1: All Ages, 1530 Apologetics, and we're talking about how the Bible got canonized. How did it become our Bible with authority? Now, we had just talked about in the first part that from the resurrection of Jesus, from 35 A.D. Paul's conversion to 54 A.D. as Paul's returning to Jerusalem, Here are some of the things that were taking place, that took place during this time. So it was around 44 AD that we have our first apostle martyred, and that was James, the brother of John. It tells us this, now about the time of Herod Agrippa, the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. So during this time, we have a decade, 10, 11 years of oral tradition of the resurrection account. But after a decade, we begin to see by 44 AD, James, the book of James was written, Galatians was written, 1 Corinthians was written, and Romans was written. And so by 49 AD, the first church council took place called the Jerusalem Council, and you could find that in Acts 15. So I want you to take a look that we don't get this usually when we're talking about antiquities. That very early on, we begin to not have, not only talk about the resurrection, but we begin to have writings talking about what had took place in this historical account. Now, the manuscripts come very early, uh, uh, not less, they come very early, less than 20 years. It's hard to find that in antiquities, like I said. Antiquities means classic writings, and usually of Greece, Rome, and ancient Egypt. So by 12, 15 years after the resurrection, we have documents of an historical account written. And by the end of the first century, Actually, 90 AD, we actually have the whole New Testament Bible. Think about that. 60 years by the time of the resurrection, and we have the whole Bible already written out. About 30 years after the resurrection, we have the the epistles written by Paul or his companions. The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke have been written. And the last book would have to be John the Apostle in John 1, 2, and 3, and Revelation by 90 AD. So again, that's 60 years after the risen Lord, we have the whole Bible. So when we talk about the canon of scriptures, the church started in Judea, went out to Samaria, got persecuted and and went out to Syria, Asia and Asia Minor, Greece, Rome, and then it began to continue to go to the uttermost parts of the world. The word canon, uh, the Bible, the canon scriptures was forged very early. The word canon is a Greek word meaning rule or measuring stick. The canon was never authorized by men, and you need to see this. The canon, the Bible, was never authorized by men. But men knew that these writings were authorized by Jesus, that it was transcendent. The books were written by the first apostles, men who had seen the Lord and his resurrection. And we had books written like Mark and Luke who were companions of the apostle. The canon was inspired infallible. When we talk about infallible, it means by definition, by definition, absolutely trustworthy or sure. The Bible had an inerrant authority from God. And that word inerrant just means that, that it was free from error when it was written down on the first manuscripts. Now, the canonized Bible was forged early, like I said, and when the apostles And and we read uh, in Colossians 4.16, listen to this. And when these epistles, so here Paul is writing, and he says, And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistles from Laodicea. You see, these books or manuscripts were read throughout the church. They didn't have a Bible but they had manuscripts, uh, separate books, were passed along to different churches. When copies uh, copies would be made, sometimes someone educated would write the whole manuscript down. At times it would even be someone that's not so educated. And this is why when we look at manuscripts... Even though the church had been persecuted, we see so many manuscripts, but we could weigh them out as we put them all together. As the writings are read by the church from city to city, you have the apostles, the bishops, and the elders and leaders of God's church recognizing this universal authority of these books, of these manuscripts. These men were at times hundreds of miles apart. For instance, the distance on land from Israel to Italy is 2,500 miles. That's like walking from San Diego to Florida. There was no way to keep in touch so closely. There was no phones, and there were no internets. So we can see as these manuscripts would go through that They would sit on a bishop's lap, he would read it to his congregation, he might have it there for a year, three or four months, and slowly it would be passed around. But we're talking about huge miles of land that they couldn't keep in contact with each other, but through the bishops and the elders and the apostles, they began to know which books had authority from Jesus Christ. We need to remember, even in 64 AD, the emperor, Nero, with the burning down of Rome, being blamed on the church, there was more persecution than ever. Yet, total agreement with which books were historical and which books were given by God, again, again, men do not choose which books were inspired, but knew which books were inspired by God. When we talk about the gospel books, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are the only books we have in the first century. So when we're talking about the gospel, there are no other books that can give an account of the historical adventures of Jesus and the church. You would have some say, well, we don't know who wrote these books, or the names of these books were given at a later time. The answer is whether they were names or no names, these are the only books or the only manuscripts we have from the first century. The last apostle John died around 98 AD, and we have men all throughout history verifying these four Gospels that we have today in our Bible, men, leaders, and theologians by 150 AD so this is 50 years after the last apostle died we have Justin Martyr calls the gospels the memoras of the apostles and by 180 AD we have Irenaeus gives the origin of the four gospels we have Eusebius said that a papyri the papius, the Papius <laughs> the Papias in 120 AD quoted the Gospels. By 110 A.D., Ignatius quotes from the Gospel of Matthew. And by 110 A.D., Polycarp, a student of the Apostle John, quotes the Gospels. And by 200 A.D., Tertullian quotes the Gospels. And now when we get to the book of the New Testament, the whole New Testament, we have this thing called, well, let's first talk, let me finish this off with the four Gospels. We have this one uh, book that was written. It was called the Diatessaron. And the Diatessaron was a harmony of the four Gospels. It was published by a man named Tatian. He was a disciple of Justin Martyr. And this was given between 165 AD and 180 AD. And the Diatessaron Diatessaron. The word means the harmony of four, and this is why we got the harmony of four Gospels. So when we talk about the Gospel account, many, many times there's reference made to that. Now I want to talk about the list of the books of the canon. We know by 180 AD, Irenaeus, he had 22 of the 27 books, a list that we could actually look at. Think about that. It was only 80 years after the last apostle died, and we already had a list that was circulating 22 of the 27 books, the other five books. They were just looking at, because as they were being passed around, they were going, are these books, should we put them in? Should we not put them in? And as more and more of the the leaders and the bishops saw these books, they go, no. This is the authority of God's word. Again, we have the meritorium. Now, the meritorium fragment was, came about around 180 AD also. And in this meritorium manuscripts, we have from, uh, we have 22 of the 27 books. And also we have the bishop of Lyons, Irenaeus. He gave us these books, as I mentioned before. Another thing we need to see is that we do have books written out from Eusebius by 320 AD. And then we had the Synod of 397 of the Council of Carthage that finally gave us these books. We also have the books, all 27 books, by 367 AD. It was called by Athanasius the 39th Festal Letters of Athanasius. So we got plenty to go on to talk about how the Bible got canonized in our scriptures. And the last thing I want to say here is these books would have been considered orthodox and authority. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics, and we thank you for spending time with us. We'll see you next week.
0: That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughout ministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K Praise.